see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got yeah, guy. Yeah, freaking guy. Yeah, guy. It's Thursday, and it is September 20th, the year 2018. And I'm Scott Bass, along with David Lee Scales. We're here to give you a dose of spit. Scott, uh, it's late in the day for us, man. I know. It's, it's my un- nap time. <laughs> it's unusual. It's kind of nice, though, right? I mean, I like working in the morning, but... I mean, so I am used to working in the morning, certainly doing this thing, but it was nice to actually get a surf in, get work done. I feel like um, normally there's an impending doom of the day when we're recording that obligations that I'm going to have to honor. Uh, And now I feel like I've checked everything off the box for the day for the most part, and I can just kind of settle in here and I'm not going to rush off at the end of the show. So I feel good about it. That's funny because I have a hard out. (laughs) Do you really? No. What time? 2.30. Okay, that's good. So for the listeners, that gives us uh, 70 minutes, 80 Maybe. minutes. Yeah. Um, we're back at Shack. Yeah, we are back at Shack. And in fact, the good people at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center here in San Clemente asked me to promote one of their events. So, of course, I'm going to do that. Let me see here. It is. They have a Joe Quig exhibit. And the soft opening is Saturday, September 26th. And the official celebration on Saturday, October 6th. So if you want to co-mingle with the Joe Quigg fans of the world, you'd want to be here on on October 6th from 6 to 9. That's when the official celebration takes place. But the uh, Joe Quigg exhibit, soft opening September 26th. So that's what you're going to be able to check out is all things Joe Quigg, who was an incredible guy, a guy who... Manyfield didn't deserve or didn't get, I should say, did not receive the uh, accolades and the due, uh, the surfboard building, the design building um, accolades that he was uh, that were that was deserve that he deserved. So um, anyway, Joe Quigg is an interesting character. There's a great article in one of the Surfers Journals. It's an interview with him actually, Pesman. Does an interview with Joe Quigg. It's probably 10 years old, but if you can hunt it down, he kind of breaks down. Uh, Quigg kind of breaks down where he feels like he got sort of a bum rap. Or not a bum rap, he just didn't get the credit that he felt was his. Because, you know, there's a, a lot of people bow down to Bob Simmons, and perhaps rightly so. I'm certainly not here to take uh, an opinion either way. But um, many more, or many still, would suggest to you that Joe Quigg deserves uh, a lot of the credit from that era as well. I think of him in high regard. I'm wondering what the misstep was. Was it that he just didn't, I hate to use this term, but like brand himself? I know he was building boards, but he don't. I don't think of him as having like a board brand, you know? Um, and therefore, you're a note in the history books, but you don't kind of permeate the culture. Yeah, that's probably some of it. You know, he he moved to Hawaii probably in the '60s, and um, and even to this day in Hawaii, like if you go to the Outrigger Canoe Club, Joe's 
and he's still alive and he's there with his wife a lot and joe's um you know joe joe's um held in extremely high regard there and he's quite the gentleman and a nice nice man but you're right maybe moving to hawaii um and just sort of doing his own thing and sort of being in that bubble that is the south shore um you know it didn't kind of feed over here into the west coast the way that other brands blew up and say 66 you know like every california longboard hobie, brand hobie yeah, or something yeah. being hobie dewey all of those greg Knoll. so but again, that was a generation ahead of him. I mean, Quig was uh, 40s and 50s. Right. Interesting. So will Quig be here? I'm wondering. Well, I'm sure he will. I don't know. We'd have to ask Barry, but it's a pretty good. Get. I would be surprised if he wasn't. It's a good get, man. And of course, Quig had a factory in Newport Beach. You know, um, right there, um, right along the beachfront there. Uh, there's a little coffee store there now. Um, I forget the street it's on, but it's, oh. Yeah. Va- vacancy is the coffee shop now, right? It's yeah. Peter Pete Town uh Peter Townen. I always forget Townsend. Who's which one's Peter P- Townsend P-T? and which one's Yeah, it's PT. You P- know there's Pete Townsend from the Who, right? Right, right. And then Peter Townen is right. the surfer. Right. So I always accidentally I think exchanged those. Anyways, PT owns vacancy? PT Sun. Oh. Jai. Oh, okay. Owns vacancy. Is it the one that's been there forever, but now it's got a new name or something? Like this one was like this one's like a coffee shop and a and a breakfast place. Like you can get. Okay, we're talking about different things. Uh, Anyway, that's where Joe Quig's old factory used to be, and Um, retail outlet. Awesome. Well, Shack. Anybody who wants to be involved in that Shack, uh, we call it Shack. It's S H A C C Surfing Heritage and Culture Center dot org. Shack dot org is the website. They're the Smithsonian of surfing. Uh, Scott. Yeah. Uh, I'll cut this if the answer is no. Are we allowed to talk about your trip? Sure. Okay, good. Good, good, good. So a couple of things. Last time I saw you was at Surf Ranch, so we have lots of that to catch up on. I'm wondering how exhausted people are of talking about wave pools at this point. Um, You know what? What? Should I chime in on some Joe Quig history real quick? Yeah, sure. I just pulled some up. Yeah, yeah. Just to give the listeners a sense of who Quig was. Give Shaq the proper uh, intro to their exhibit. Uh, Joe Quig, virtuoso surfboard designer and craftsman, originally from Santa Monica, and co-founder of both the modern longboard and the specialized big wave board, and credited by many as the most influential mid-century board maker. See, so that's, I think, where um, some people don't recognize Quig the way that they would recognize, say... um, Others from that area, like Velzy, basically. And um, anyway, this Quig, is from Encyclopedia. Yeah, of surfing. Encyclopedia of Surfing. Yeah, Quig was born in '25, raised in Santa Monica, began surfing at age four, and built a little belly board for himself. By age 13, he had made a redwood surfboard with a slightly upturned nose and tail sections. So what we have here, right, David, is the first incarnation of Rocker. Uh, which allowed for greater maneuverability and made the board more forgiving in tight places. The solid wood plank boards in use at this time, as well as the hollow paddle board surfboards were flat from bow to stern. So Quig introduced Rocker, considered perhaps the greatest contribution to surfboard design. It's funny, when I was on my trip, I was hanging out with Pat Taylor, legendary shaper from Santa Cruz, and he told me that you know we had a great talk, and he's like, I think Rocker is probably the single most important thing. Really? And that can be traced to Joe Quigg. Hmm. Um, I'll skip ahead a little bit. There's a lot to read here. I didn't know Pat was on that trip. Yeah. Was he? 
I didn't see him posting photos. In 1947, Quigg built a balsa redwood board for Daryl and Zanuck, of course, a beginning teenage surfer and the daughter of Hollywood mogul Daryl Zanuck. This board was thinner and lighter than anything yet seen. The 25-pound Darlin board, as it was called, got passed from one Malibu surfer to the next as the hottest turning board on the beach. Again, 1947. And thus became a prototype for the popular Malibu chip board. And that same year, along with Malibu icon Bob Simmons, Quig, excuse me, Quig built in succession some of the first polyurethane foam core boards. So, this is where there's some contention, I think, is that Simmons gets a lot of credit for being the first guy with a polyurethane foam board. And Simmons is like, dude, I did that before. Or, I mean, Quig is like, I did that before Bob Simmons. Um, each of these ideas, both Simmons and Quigs, would be, of course, the standard for years to come. In 48, after dreaming of a board fast enough to make away from the top of the point at Rincon, uh, Quig cut his board in half longitudinally removed two inches reducing the board's width from 23 so he cut it the length of the board in half removed two inches glued it back together and created the first pintail board designed to hold traction at higher speed so he narrowed up the board quig's pintail was a forerunner of the big wave board so that's another thing that quig gets uh, credit for is sort of the first big wave gun based on this board he made boards for Tom Zahn in the late 40s and 50s. And Zahn, of course, one of Malibu's best riders, along with Matt Kivlin and Les Williams. And for pioneering big wave surfer Buzzy Trent in the mid-50s. When Trent ordered a 12-foot big wave board from Quig, he memorably asked the shaper to build him an elephant gun to be used for hunting down giant waves. Big wave boards have since been known as guns. So Joe Quig, builder of the first elephant gun. Awesome. Sorry, I'm taking a sip of my tea there. It's all good. Can you tell I got a little bit of a cold? I can, actually. Whoever uses this mic next is going to be bombed. Um, Quig founded a production retail surfboard shop in Santa Monica in the 50s, then opened a shop in Honolulu in 53. Um, let's see. Quig lived in Newport Beach from 59 to 69, where he had that shop that you and I were talking about. Joe Quigg moved back to Hawaii, built boats, canoes, paddleboards. He built a bunch of stuff. He's one of these tinkering builder type guys. Did a lot of stuff on outriggers. Like, like this just barely right. touches the tip of what Joe Quigg did, especially with canoes. He was a big canoe builder. Um, anyway, he was inducted into the Surfing Hall of Fame in 91. So Joe Quigg exhibit here at Shack. And hopefully that gives you a little sense of who Joe Quigg is. And a cool guy. Remember we were talking a lot uh, about grovelers and trying to define them? I got a listener email from Connor who said, I wanted to give you some insights into the origin of the groveler. As a kid just coming up in the comp scene in the very, in the very late 80s and 90s, Redhead, New South Wales, Australia, I remember being coached by some of the older crew at a state event. The waves were tiny and they were telling me that I needed to grovel for the to the judges for a score. So it's about groveling to the judges is what it's about. He said, uh, something I had never been good at. My preference is to gain all the speed that I can get off the bottom, put it into a big turn in the most critical part of the wave. Groveling is the opposite of that. My big turn would give the judges of the time only one maneuver to judge on, while somebody who would grovel would be able to put together three to four smaller turns in that same amount of time. At this time, we were still riding normal boards, but we were being taught to grovel. The first time I saw a groveler board 
was at one of these events. The guy was on, the guy was one of the top competitive surfers at the time in our state. And he was the first to ride one of these boards. It had minimal rocker and a slightly wider nose and tail. It would have been an inch or two shorter and maybe half an inch wider than my standard shorty of the time. I think it was a swallowtail, but definitely not a fish. I think it would have been 1989 or 1990. He went on to win that event by floating tiny sections and banking off foamy closeouts, three or four minor turns while his competitors were trying we're busy trying to get enough speed for only one, end quote. So that's from Connor. We obviously are fully aware of like what groveling is. The one kind of detail here that he identifies as being different is that you're, it's something, it's an act of something to the judges. You know, you're I groveling to the that's judges. That's very interesting. I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot of truth to that. When you look back at the judging criteria in Australia, um, especially in Michael Peterson's time, it was literally points for maneuver. So if you did one maneuver that was just an insane rail hack, just incredible, or you did 10 grovel turns, you got more points for the 10 grovel turns. And you can see Michael Peterson employing this strategy at Bell's where he would just go and do a bunch of little kind of like check turns. And he would. that's one of the reasons why he, he was so dominant competitively. He was untouchable for you know maybe four or five years probably like 71 to 75 or something. And it was because he was adept at picking up the strategy and groveling to the judges, as your friend said there. Yeah, listener. Awesome. Uh, So I've got another email. I know we were going to read Fat Aki's email. Got to read Fat Aki. Fat Aki's coming up. Stay tuned for Fat Aki. Let's do that going into the wave pool conversation. Sure. I want to hear about Mexico. Okay, yeah. So I score. We did score. We got some back to back big swells that that rampaged through all of mainland Mexico and even up to here, I'm sure. And so, yeah, I got back last um, couple days ago. That's why I have an illness. And the waves are pumping. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what you want to hear, but I mean, I went to Sinaloa, right, which is um, in mainland north of Mazatlan. It's a private surf camp. You pay. I was invited to go with a group of guys that go every year at the same time, the same time frame. I flew out of Tijuana, so we parked oh. uh, on this side of the border and used that CBX crossing. How did that work out for you? <coughs> yeah, I do it all the time. It's no problem. Oh, you have? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm a big fan. And flights are cheaper, right? Out Way cheaper. TJ. 150 round trip. Amazing. Yeah. What, what airline? Volaris. Is it Volaris. Whoa, Is it safe and legit? I'm here. I'm here before you. I mean, the plane landed, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's totally legit. Okay, cool. Um, so, yeah. I, I mean, you posted a couple photos. You guys were scoring well overhead, kind of thumping, barreling lefts. Yeah, it's a sand bottom point that up at the top, it heaves a mean barrel like into some really shallow sand, and then it runs for 900 yards. Like, no way. Yeah. Longer like, than KS's wave. Oh, pool. yeah. Way, super long. Really? Stupid long. Really? Exhaustingly. And, like, could you even... Well, we would get boat rides back to the top of the no point. No way. The one main characteristic of this place is the current. The current... And any, all the people that have surfed there know this. The current's brutal. It's not so bad halfway down the point, but at the top where the really meaty section is, it's just super fast. So you're basically you're on a treadmill the entire time you're in the water. There's not... There's very rarely a time when you get to sit on your board and like talk to your buddy about how great your last wave was. You know what I mean? You're just going. So and it's it's just, su- is it sucking you around the point? 
like beyond the point? No, it takes you down the point. Gotcha. So you're constantly struggling to stay in position. The boat drops you off at the top and you sort of drift into position and you hope that a set's coming right then. And if not, then you're on the treadmill just trying to stay in your spot. And, um, and it, you know, it's doable. It's doable, yeah. but it, it's it's a completely radical workout. Like, I'm sure we paddled every day. We probably paddled four or five miles. What's your, how's your fitness level right now? Did you, right now it's pretty good after the trip. It's good. But when you were out there, did you feel like you were in shape to do it? Yeah. Probably like the last two days is when I started to feel like I could get a second wind, you know, because you're there early in the morning and you go until around noon and then by then it's blown out. So the last two hours of every session are kind of gnarly. But the last two days, I was I felt a second wind. I was like, "This is let's you know." You would go to the boat, take eat a sandwich, drink some water, chill out for twenty minutes, and then go back. Right. But I'm feeling I'm feeling in pretty good shape right now, although I'm good. ill. Good, good, good for you. Um, what were you mainly riding? I rode three boards. I rode um, the XTR uh, Javier, that Javier made me a six O round pin with a concave deck, no stringer. Kevlar in the middle, super killer board, super uh, lively and um, springy and just likes to go where you want, you know, it goes everywhere you want to go, you know. What does that concave deck do for you? Um, That's a good question. I mean, I guess it makes me feel a little bit more in the board, so to speak, yeah. you know. Um, it's a neat feeling. It's definitely noticeable. And I liked it. I've never I don't had, dislike it. I've never had one, but I've heard that come up a couple of times. And if not a concave deck, just talking about once you build your foot wells kind of dig into the board, how the board then feels more at home, you know, or just somehow you have a harmony with the board once you get those foot wells in it. And I think it might be just being closer to the water, you know? Your feet are closer to the water than the deck of the board is or the rest of the board is, and you could just kind of dig in. It's an interesting thing, right? Because when you think about it, at so, at some point there's um, a loss of return. There's a loss of because if you get too low, and the, if you're here and the rail's here, you've now got to tip the rail into sure. You know, so and if you're on top of the rail, it's easier to tip the rail. So I'm not sure I'm making sense to the listener because I'm doing hand maneuvers but if, to David. But, but if it's two and a two and a half inch thick board, that's not a lot of take. Uh, you're right concaving it down half an inch or a quarter of an inch is a large percentage proportionally yeah no you're right and that's kind of what it is it's it's a very minimal concave but it's noticeable and it's also obviously it's it's sort of slight and rolled it's not just like some big step right. you know right. um but i dig it and i also um i also really love my new lost that matt made me matt made me this it's the model is called el patron i don't think it's out yet but it's going to be out. And if you're a middle-aged surfer that wants to get his WCT on, this is the board for you. It's it's a killer board. I wrote it on the smaller days and absolutely loved it. Look like that's the one you had a couple of photos on? Yeah. Were those just iPhone photos or was somebody shooting? No, those are photos from a from a real camera. One of the guys on the trip? The, just... the boat guy, like awesome. the Mexican boat guy. His name's Israel. He's a great guy. Uh, he's busy, you know. He's running the zodiac around, pulling the camera out. So not every shot's super sharp because he's kind of got his hands full. But yeah. he's very diligent, you know. Cool. And so, and then the, the board that I rode when it was Mac Daddy, which was probably three of the six days, was the Ross and Impala, the six six Pat Ross and Impala three fin. 
You love that thing. Yeah. So all three boards worked great. And um, it was just, it was an incredible trip. It was just one of those trips where it was like, dude, really? It was like, you know, Groundhog's Day. It just every morning we'd wake up and it would be just, you know, four to six with eight foot sets or six to eight with 10 foot sets. It was just nonstop. It was mental. It was one of the best surf trips I've been on. How shacked did you get? Did you get a couple that you're like- I got a couple. In the memory bank for a long time? Um, That one hook turn under the lip is very memorable because I just remember doing the turn and going, God, that was sick. Like That's like something I would have done when I was 20, not when I was 50, you know? And what are the odds that he actually got the photo? I was blown away. No, I was totally blown away. I didn't even expect that. That was just like a, a, you know, ego boost, but it was an- it was an incredible trip and um, just, yeah. Good I mean, for you, man. Yeah. And I know all of mainland was going off the Richter. I mean, that was those were two back-to-back solid swells. So, you know, guys are getting pitted down in Colima and down in Oaxaca and all around. I'm sure Cabo was epic and everywhere. And you guys didn't strike mission it. You had the trip planned already in advance, right? Yeah. Just aligned perfectly with the swell. Yeah. And, and, and it was a cool crew of guys. Um like I said, Pat Taylor was on the trip and um, some charger guys, Sean Jappy, who just absolutely charges goofy foot. And my friends, Jimmy, who, who charged uh, all the guys were charging. So it was just a lot of fun, you know? So you, you do that full marathon session in the morning. Um, you said it gets windy in the afternoon. Is there somewhere to surf in the afternoon or you just rest? No. The afternoon you come home, you eat lunch, you do a little bit of email follow up or whatever take a long nap wake up roam around the compound maybe play gin rummy or shoot pool eat dinner and then you pass out and you're up at five like yeah doing yoga getting your body ready to to go to battle because it was like battle dude totally and the tube there so the main tube up up the top can dredge out and be pretty round it's just hard to find it um the because of the current to stay in position when it comes in and also because it's it's so mean that backside, I found that it's one of those ones that just goes bleh, like it just kind of goes square. So I found backside that I had to go to the bottom. I couldn't pig dog from the takeoff like you could on sort of an almondy wave, you know. So I would go to the bottom. By the time I went around, did my bottom turn and snapped under it, it was kind of over. That, that section of the tube was over. But Sean and Jimmy, those guys got some backdoor ones. They got some dark backdoor caves up there. And... But the, so regarding your question about tubes, the tube, then the rest of the way down the point, the tube's sort of almondy. So I would pull into some tubes and then they would kind of crush me, crush on me a little bit as I rode down the, the line a little. Right. Still get the vision though. Yeah. Just don't get blown out. Right. Um, epic. And you have surgery tomorrow. Um, no, actually surgery on Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. I'm having it, uh, my ear drilled exotosis. Exotosis. Yes. So this is swimmers not swimmers here it's the bone growth the calcium growth that we're all familiar with that surfers have to contend with surfers here is what i was going to say yeah um and the reason why i wanted to ask you about it on air is it's come up over the years i think donald brink at some point was like dude you should have a doctor on to talk about that because it is a uh haunting presence in our life like we all kind of know we're going to have to do it i'm hoping that by the time I need to do it, there's some new technology that isn't as invasive as what's been in the past. So I don't know what you're going to have done. And is it, is it just drilling the yeah, hole in your ear I'm and you're under, out of the water forever? 
Yeah, the, I've had it done before. Oh, you have? Yeah. Okay. So interestingly, what you'll find with most surfers in California is it's their right ear because the right ear receives the north wind and the north cold. I didn't know that. Yeah. I've never had the left ear done. I've only had the right ear done. And I've had it done one time. And now the right ear is, again, 98% closed. The left ear is like 40% closed. And I've never had the... So, and that's what the doctor tells me. He goes, oh, yeah, it's always the right ear with you guys, you know. And so he's going to... The first time I had it done, they flapped it open. Ugh. They cut behind it and they flap it open and then they go in there. And, but this time he's going straight in, which means he has to remove a bunch of skin up on, in the top part of my ear canal. Um, and then... Basically, I think he chisels it, but there might be a laser involved too. I'm trying to, I, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I want to say it's a chisel, but I could be wrong. How painful is it? It was pretty painful actually, as I recall last time. Are you completely um, under anesthesia? Like, are you yeah. asleep through the? Yeah. Oh yeah. And so the pain is once you wake up. Yeah. The pain's once you wake up. Yeah. And how long are you out of the water for? Two weeks, two or three weeks. Um, that's the beauty of this version of the surgery. The flap version takes six weeks to heal. That's what I remember hearing. This version only takes two or three weeks, depending on how fast the skin will regrow around the bone that they had to cut the skin away from the bone to, to kind of get access. Um, and so you just got to keep your ear packed with cloth and keep the antiseptic on it or keep the, you know, the antibiotic on it or whatever. And then when the skin grows and is firmly grown back, then you're good to go. It's really just a matter of when the skin can grow back over the the bone of the outer ear canal. And do you have noticeably better hearing after the surgery? Well, I what? <laughs> I hope so. I mean, you've I done mean, it before. Last time, I, I think I do remember hearing better, yes. How long ago was that? A while ago, probably 10 years ago. Brutal, dude. Uh, I bet our, you know, there, I know the listener of the show, Magnus, has... Uh, product called surf ears yes that tom carroll's affiliated with and uh he's emailed in the past i bet he's shouting into his speakers right now saying you need to wear his product didn't he send us his product yeah 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 yeah. what was it again remind Uh, me surf ears there's a 2.0 version yeah earplugs 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 oh yeah yeah yeah. keep the water out and you can hear through you know no Um, you know what those are great i apologize i i'm pretty sloth like when it comes or I'm just lazy, Me I too. guess. I just never put earplugs in. And Me too. I, there was a period of time when I did do it, and and I just got, you know, it's like you forget them once, and then you just, I don't know. Yeah, it's know. hard enough for me to wax my board. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> I have a brand new board, and it's like, I don't even want to wax. Like, the reason I haven't ridden it, I don't want to go through the 10 minutes of waxing it up. You know? <laughs> we, are sl- we are lazy together. Um, it's true, though, but... The point is you can avoid surgeries. Like there are preventative measures, you know, my yeah. follow-up question should have been what preventative measures can you take Scott to prevent this from ever happening? Well, I'll that's tell you one what, of them. Yeah. A hood, you know, yeah. a, a hood in the winter time yep. and those, those earplugs that Magnus is at Magnus. Yeah. That Magnus has, those are a great idea and they sh- that should be done. You should do that. So but. the hood, the, this mainly happens because of cold, correct? Right cold yeah it's mostly about the cold the gotcha. ear the, the the natural you know evolution or whatever just goes oh it's cold let's close this up you know yeah. 
Brutal. Well, uh, all right, Scott, I think we're caught up on your ear <clears throat> and your Mexico thing. Does that mean Aki, Fat Aki's email? Do we talk about wave pools next, or what do you want to do? Yeah, but I do want to do a shout-out to the um, boardroom podcast I did with Javier, which I've been listening to. I think it's actually kind of fascinating. <laughs> you Wait, like so, no, I'm not laughing at that. You've been listening to your conversation with Javier. Yeah, because I, I hadn't listened to it since I did it. And I've been listening. I listened to it in the ride up. And there's actually some interesting... It's kind of fascinating the 30 year process of kind of perfecting um, XTR and and epoxy resin application and all of the dramas that came with it the yellowing, the venting, the um, the delamination, the getting the retailers to agree to it, the price point being higher, uh, getting a, a machine to cut the foam right without the foam melting. It's all kind of an interesting journey that Javier's taken. And he just kind of, every time a new problem would crop up, he would, you know, address it head on. And and I kind of, I, I, I think Javier's sort of like the American dream, you know, like totally. Here's this guy from Lima, Peru that just decided he was going to, you know, love surfing, was going to build surfboards. And he's, you know, he's, he's hit every little, like I say, every hurdle that you could hit and he's overcome them. So I love his story about, um, paying his rent like he had 500 bucks in his bank account that was it not enough money for food or anything beyond that and that's how much the price was for it sounds like the building he's still in today right yeah Yeah. building so he goes and he pays rent the 500 bucks and he's just like all right i'm gonna get into this business i'm gonna start a business could not sleep at night knowing that he didn't have money for food the next day so woke up went back to the landlord asked for his money back was like hey man i cannot do this i'm sorry Give me my money back, please. The guy was reticent, but ultimately gave him his money back. He went back to bed that night and just thought, oh my gosh, I just gave up my dream. My dream was to have this surfboard factory and now I can't have it. I just gave up. What am I doing? So he went back the next day and bought the, re-signed the lease basically. Yeah, gave, it's gave a the good, he's, he's a great guy. He's a fun guy to talk with. And uh, anyway, that's the Boardroom Podcast. So you can check that out Boardroom on, Podcast. on iTunes or at surfsplendor.com. Yeah. Uh, surfsplendorpodcast.com. You should check out the comments section on there, by the way. People have been really, uh, oh, really? glowing oh. about that episode. I think oh, people really? are saying that's like their favorite episode. Oh, so that's far. cool. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, we should also, since we're doing shout outs, we should thank some of our sponsors that make this show possible, Scott. Okay. Well, let me just say that I wore my Need Essentials. The, my board shorts, the entire trip, that's all I wore was my Neat Essentials board shorts. I used my Neat Essential wet dry bag, which is a friggin' mandatory if you're going to be on a boat every day. If nothing else, just you can put your backpack on the bottom of the boat and know it's not going to get wet. Yeah. Um, and then guys that had cameras were like, hey, can I use your wet dry bag? I'm like, yeah, sure, you know. And then I also had those... those shorts that they make that are like walking shorts, but they're also board shorts, the combo I, shorts. I don't have them. You don't? No. Oh, you, well. I feel like you've told me about it in the past. Thank you, Rob. I don't have them yet. Yeah. So anyway, I'm all about the neat essentials. And of course, it was sunny as shit down there and, and my my uh, spy optics. Keeping you safe. Yeah. So by the way, for the listeners, um, that dry bag will be back in stock in November. Somebody, because you talked about it on the show, somebody looked for it on their website, couldn't find it, then emailed me and is like, hey, how can I get one of those bags? Rob reached out and said, He's got a ton of them on order, and they're coming in November. So, oh, good because um, guys on my trip were. I was like, dude, I'll hook you up. Don't perfect. worry. Here's the website. And yeah, so. not only that. Like, I hate to even say that the product is uh, inexpensive because I don't want to no, diminish no, it, it. It's not, but it's. I mean, it's not that. It's high quality. It's like that. That <clears throat> bag is on par with 
the 300 plus dollar bags you can get from some of these large brands. And uh, it's not that expensive. You know what? There's a movement in the golf industry a little bit, especially with golf balls, where all the guys that worked for the main golf ball company, Titleist, or maybe TaylorMade, they they were the engineers behind these exactly. great golf balls. And they exactly. just broke off, did their own thing, and they're selling direct online. And it's the same quality golf ball for way less. And that's kind of the great, that's sort of the good analogy for Neat Essentials. It's, the it's all the all the good stuff without the marketing fluff. That's exactly what the name is. Yeah. And that's the era that we're in. I was telling a listener through email, I was like, we need a neat essentials for cars, for food, for hotels, like for all of it, you know? Just I'm thinking about a food. Tesla. Thinking, you seen, you're just thinking about them? Thinking about getting a Tesla. Are you really? Not a expense. They have this this Model 3. Have you seen yeah. this Model 3? Yeah. I think it retails for like 45000 bucks. It's shockingly well-priced. And what's really cool about it, right, is you get the $7,500 federal tax credit. Did you know that? No. And you get a $2,700 state tax credit. So you basically get ten grand off through so your 30, taxes. Thirty-five. dollars Yeah. And there's no gas. There's vir- virtually no electricity. You can plug in for free all these places around here, especially right. in California. Right. And the, I think the resale value is really high. Like, they're hard to get. Yeah. There's a three-month waiting period. Yeah. So when you add it all up, the forty-five grand starts all of a sudden becomes like thirty grand. Which look at prices of cars nowadays. Like a Ford Explorer is forty-five grand. You I know. know, like they're ridiculously expensive. I know. So yeah, that does look like a value proposition at a certain point. Did you see Elon Musk on um, Joe Rogan's podcast? I did. Smoking it was a joint. So funny, dude. So, so my friend funny. has a theory about that. Tell me, is that? Because Elon Musk is super smart. Everyone's like, this guy's super smart. Like, he didn't just do that on purpose. So his whole thing is Elon Musk is going around trying to get the price way down, the stock price way down. So he's going around being a jerk. Like, didn't he do something jerky before this recently? I'm not sure. And so he smoked some uh, some weed. So he's trying to get people to go, oh, fuck, man. I'm getting out he's of this stock. Because he wants to privatize the stock again. That's one thing he does want to do. That they're actually the SEC is looking into it. So he wants to privatize the company again. To do that, he wants to get the stock down enough so he can buy enough of it to own the company and go. We're going private. That's a fascinating theory. It's, it's, I don't disagree. It makes sense. It does make sense. I don't disagree. I just loved. I listened to the whole episode. I was driving back actually from Surf Ranch, and um, it was so funny the way Joe. First of all smokes on the show occasionally yeah and so he just lights up organically and then presents it to elon and elon's like what is that is that a tobacco it's pretty it, casual he was super casual he's like is that a tobacco and <laughs> joe's like well it's marijuana wrapped in tobacco you know they call it a blunt i think is what he says <laughs> and then elon's like and then he's like here would you like some elon and he's like have you ever tried it uh, i i think i might have tried it once well, you, you want some? I guess I'll give it a shot. You know, Elon's playing so coy. It's so funny. I love the whole interaction. Yeah, it was good for sure. At, at any rate, um, you mentioned it, but I need to really drive it home. Spy. I need our to other get sponsor. some spies. I'll hook you up. I'll get you. I need to get some prescription spies because I have the normal ones, but I wear. I can barely see. Like it's hard. So so Spy supports this show and they've been supporters um, since we first brought on advertisers. So spyoptic.com, check them out. Anybody who needs, everybody's going to need either sunglasses, prescription glasses, or snow goggles at some point. Don't break your bank and go out and support the show just for the heck of it. But when you need that thing, 
Look at spyoptic.com. They have everything. They're really well made. And uh, of course, the happy lens. And uh, use the promo code podcast and you get hooked with a free with a free t- free t- free t shirts the show. So spyoptic.com promo code podcast. All right, Scott, uh, do we want to revisit Surf Ranch with Fat Aki's email? I guess so. Yes, we haven't. Yes, let's do that for sure. It's the last time I saw you, so we should yeah. touch on it. Yeah. So f- you want me to read or do you want to? Uh, go ahead, please. Fat Aki's email. And by the way, he's chimed in before and uh, always has fast. Fat Aki needs his own Sit-to-lead. podcast. The he guy's, does. The guy's does. brilliant. Or right. he needs to be a writer. Quote, my thoughts on the wave pool are nothing original <laughs> or inspiring. I watched the whole event. Julian gets the Matt Archibald Award for going giant in a heat regardless of the consequence. It was the highlight of the event for me. I was on the edge of my chair yelling at my monitor as he fell. I really don't care that he didn't win. In retrospect, I don't really care about the pool contest at all. Four minutes and 11 seconds of watching Dane Dane Dad Bod Reynolds in his most recent clip that dropped the day after was all it took to realize how unsatisfied I felt by the pool experience. I would have been better off watching the Dane movie on repeat instead of wasting hours of my life on the pool party. I do take some twisted pleasure in the fact that the pros surfed uh, that the pro surfed all day and only caught a handful of waves. Seems like a karmic revenge for the thousands of waves those bastards had backpaddled, burned, and hassled for at spots around the world. Surfing one foot slop at my local the day after the poolathon ended, a bro and I were talking about uh, what would make it better, and we both agreed that if it were triple the size, that would be the fix. And then I realized how perverse that sounded. A kind of obscene logic. It seemed akin to some 1985 idea in porn in the porn world that since big fake boobs seemed to excite audiences huddled around their VHS players late at night, then really, really giant fake boobs were what everyone really wanted. The pool is as unsatisfying as porn. Making the windy whoppers of surf, surf pools will not fix what is missing, the ocean, end quote. So true. He totally nailed it. I mean, uh, it's hard to even comment on it because there's nothing more to be said almost. It's just he, he totally nailed it. Is Wendy Whoppers an actual porn actress? You don't know Wendy Whoppers? Is it really? <laughs> no, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it better be. It is now. If it's not, Fat Aki's <laughs> even funnier than I thought. I mean, if it, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. His email got me thinking, what? Think about this. Okay. When was the last time you were truly excited after a contest? Pipeline last year? I'm going to suggest to you, for me, it was Brazil. Brazil, because we had some we had some kind of crappy waves in um, the Aussie leg, right? Got canceled. And then, you know, there was like a couple, an Uluwatu event or something. Kind of promise. My point is, is that Brazil was like all of a sudden we're like, holy shit! Look, it's pumping. It's kind of pumping and it's exciting and it's it's everything that Fat Aki touches on. It was it, mixed up. It, it was, was challenging. Mi- yes, it was, it was challenging. There was airs. There was tubes. There, yeah. there was drama. You didn't know what was going to happen when it was going to happen. Was, I remember being satisfied, satiated, if you will, after the Brazil event, and and I had to think about it, you know. And I was like, why? Why is that, David? What is it about that? And it's because of the waves. The waves are the stars. Yeah, but that wave is a star, right? I mean, the way the pool generates a perfect wave that we would call the star if it were a snapper. But it's like a porn star. Exactly. It's like it's un. Yeah, it's yeah. like yeah, it looks great under your arm, but 
you know, when it comes time to pay the bill, you're kind of like, oh, you know what? I should have just dated the fat chick. <laughs> Back to this analogy. This was <laughs> listener's favorite analogy. Was it? I haven't, I haven't heard any of the drama. You got to read the comments. <laughs> oh my God. So are people just bashing the shit out of bath? They weren't thrilled with that analogy. Oh, I'm um, sorry. You it know doesn't what? matter. So <laughs> stick with it. It's, it makes for good Hash. pod. And, uh, hey, I'm not perfect. So <laughs> apparently. Here, here was my realization after spending four days in the Dust Bowl. Um, the central tenet of all of surfing up until September 2018, and I would also argue of surf competition, has been man or woman versus nature. That's the central premise of all of it. Even in competition, when there's two people in a heat together, it's really that person against mother nature. And who, Primarily. That's the yeah. primary focus. Yeah. That's the central tenet. And so who can wrangle mother nature best? The secondary focus is doing it better than your opponent. Right. But there's, the doing it better than your opponent would not matter at all if you weren't trying to uh, you know, not even impose your will on mother nature. To try to find where the wave, which set wave is going to be the best, right. how to outposition, how to be in the right spot for, you know, all that's, that is what the central tenet is. Right. And so I did not realize that going into the pool event, but after four days, it was clear as day to me that no world tour event should be in a pool because it undermines the central tenet of all of surfing from all time, you know? Yeah. So, Okay. I'm fine with the pool. I'm fine with us doing a contest in the pool. It should not be the WSL's World Championship Tour event is what I'm suggesting. I think you're on to something. I think a lot of people feel that way. I know some of the competitors, they might not say it outwardly, but some of the you know um, discourse that I heard behind the scenes was that there was pro surfers in that event that weren't pleased with it, that many of them felt like, look, let's just narrow it down to the top eight guys because we know who they're going to be. Because I think it was Jordy Smith who may have said, look, I'm too big for the tube. And, you know, there, can I really compete at 6'2", 200 pounds against 5'9", 130 pounds? No. Not really. Well, Gabe's pretty big. Yeah. But you're right. And, and so so that I think that the pool has relevance. I think that we should have pool events. Well, I'm okay they with the pool if they have an event at Mavericks. That's my thing. Like no, to me, no, that no. equals it out. That, well, that's like the, the great I, equalizer. I disagree. I think the Mavericks thing is still relevant, but the pool should yeah. be a novelty and a specialty yeah, event that exists right. on its own. You're right. Because or an entire pool. Tour. Yes, I'm fine with that too. I just think that again, ignoring that central tenet that's always existed in surfing. That is what surfing human is. versus nature. And in many ways, that's what you and I can relate to when we watch a contest. Exactly. We go, hey, exactly. I do that every day. I have to go out there and find that one wave. And if I do, I do. And my bro gives me a high five and guys on the stairs are still, you know. And so it helps. There's some relevance. And I'm totally okay with the pools becoming a new version of surfing and a different version of surfing. But there's trying to meld the two is a forced fit. And it's also, here's what's actually a little bit more egregious to me. And I don't know um, that I get indignant about is that this is the unique element of our sport. This one thing that I'm talking about makes it different than skateboarding or snowboarding or anything else. And it is actually what we should hang all of our our value on you know like this is the one thing we're out there contending with sharks we're contending with the unknown 
And that is what we should, all of the value of everything that we discuss and center the folk, like that is what we have. Do not abandon it. Do not ignore it. Don't overlook it. That is what we have. Yeah, no, embrace it, lift it up. Yeah. And so then that kind of leads us to, okay, if that's the central tenet, we all agree with it, you nailed it, right? We've crystallized it. What does that tell us? Well, let's go find those waves that provide that. And so the waves are the stars. For instance, they could have an insane WCT event at Puerto Escondido the last three weeks, probably today even. It's pumping down there. Like to not have an event in September at Puerto Escondido for the top surfers in the world is to me a Travisham mockery. Yeah, I I disagree. Boom, drop the mic. Totally agree. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Totally agree, dude. I'm reading some of these some of these comments on Surf Splendor about the Javier podcast. It's pretty funny. What did somebody say? This one guy totally nailed it. He goes, he's saying, "Hey, it's a great listening podcast." Those Scott Bass is inescapably so well. Scott Bass, all asking how to pronounce Horkaya, then immediately saying it incorrectly, reverting to the way he was pronouncing it before. It was just explained to him by his guest. <laughs> you are right, and I apologize. And um, maybe that's some of the crusty charm. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just as God made me. It is charming. It's funny. Um, what are your thoughts on? I mean, obviously. Yeah. Last time so, I saw you was at Surf Ranch. Um, how was your experience there? I, only I had saw a great you time. Place. I was blown away on a few different levels. One was, I'm guessing there was 10,000 people or you more. think so? How many do you think? I how many did less. they say? I don't know. I don't know the numbers. I was removed from the crowd a lot of the time. I was hiding out. Um, VI, VIP day. and press was free. So everyone non-VIP, although there was VIPs that I talked to that paid. So anyway, I think there was... How That's many? A did, lot. What? Let's just say there were seven thousand. Okay. Let's say there was between five and ten. Let's say there were seven thousand. At a hundred bucks a pop, seven hundred grand. Did I do the math right? I'm not sure. <laughs> oh my god! I'm terrible. I'm here. going to the calculator. Um, 
I don't know. I, I just don't think there was that many people. I'm terrible at guessing. Um, 700,000. People, but. $700,000. And it was that just on one day? Or you're saying 7,000 were there on that day? That was, that's, I think there were 7,000 people there on that day. So the 700K was just for a Let's Saturday. say it was, let's say it was 5,000. 500 grand in revenue immediately. Then there's food and beverage and merch and I don't know, whatever. And that's just sort of rounding it up. Like, cause people paid for a VIP package, which was more than a hundred mm-hmm. bucks to see uh, at TSOL or Blink or whoever. I forget who it was. Social D. Oh yeah, social distortion. So anyway, from a fiscal standpoint, it seemed like they hit a home run, but maybe not. Cause that, I mean, 500 grand for a day. How much do you think it costs to run the whole thing for a day? Labor and everything. I have no clue. I bet it's 200 grand. Let's just, so they made 300 grand. That's pretty killer. So I was looking at it from that perspective. And of course, my numbers are probably way off. They probably have higher margins than I realize. I mean, not profit margins, but higher expense margins. Like they probably have a lot of expenses. But the other thing that I noticed was how much fun it was to hang out with people. Like I met people. I met everyone I met was happy, joyous, excited to be there. And as I, as I was, I engrossed by the spectacle, taking it all in a new moment in surf history. Um, and so I had great conversations with people that I hadn't ever met before that, that became, you know, it was just fun to talk to people, you know, to get their insight on it. And I met a guy who flew in from Humboldt County on his private plane and, you know, just, fascinating but all the different people how did you meet these people i was sitting in their chair and they came up and said hey you're sitting in my chair and i said oh i'm sorry can i catch a lift with you back (laughs) on your plane too we just started talking um yeah i agree with you that was i i think we've talked about this on the show if left to my own default i will stay away from other people i'll stay home i'll try to have little social interaction but whenever i force myself to do it that is exactly what i enjoy i actually enjoy connecting with people and um that was a big highlight for me and what was cool too is like a lot of these people i've never actually met before but i know them on the internet like nick carroll i had never met before but I introduced myself and he's like, oh my gosh, dude, I listen to the show and like how, and it's, you automatically already know them, you know? Yeah. And I had that experience with listeners too. And they go, hey, is it weird? Like when a listener um, approaches you, it's like, no, it's not weird at all because I, just like you feel like you know me, I feel like I know you. Even if we haven't interacted through email or whatever, like we have this very common thing that is the focus of our lives and that we see eye to eye on. And so, we're hit the ground running, you know? And it's just like, hey, what'd you think of Jordy's wave? Oh my gosh, that wave was terrible. He's riding a board that was too small. Like, all, you know, we go straight into it. So I, I really enjoy it. It's an extended kind of family experience, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was stoked that they opened up the, the other side for so people smart. to swim in. That was super smart. I'm sure that was Bob Hurley going, hey, what the hell is this pool doing over here? Let's open this thing up. So we had this Hurley swimming area, which I wish I would have brought my bathing suit. It wasn't as hot as I thought it was going to be. There was a breeze blowing through there. There was plenty of shade. I was never like terminally hot. No, you know? I felt fine throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Um, it was like ni- right under 100 degrees, by the way. For listening. And how was your podcast? You you did oh a gosh, special dude. podcast. It was good. Th- was it good? It turned out great. I mean, I think it turned out great. It turned out... Um, <laughs> As good as I had hoped. I was a little apprehensive about it because, so the WSL or Prodan at the WSL emailed us and he was like, hey, 
um, would you guys be interested in going? And I was like, 100%, I'd love to be a part of the spectacle. And he even said, like, do you want to do a podcast there? And I was like, yes. And so I just thought about it. I'm like, I would love to see kind of a behind the scenes thing. I listen to a lot of This American Life and various shows on NPR where it's a man on the street or a woman on the street with a field recorder just interviewing people behind the scenes. And I've always enjoyed that, you know, whether it's a Trump rally or whatever it is, a film festival, it's like, that is always kind of the most humanizing version of whatever the media is that comes out about that thing. And so I was like, and nobody's doing it in surfing. So I was like, that's a unique niche that I would love to fill. And I feel like I have the skill set to fill it. So um, that's when I reached out to Hurley and I was like, hey, I know you guys are sponsoring this and I'm going to be there for four days. Would you be interested in supporting this and getting product for fans and all that sort of stuff? And they were like, immediately, they're like, yes, 100% we're in. So they helped with access and that sort of stuff. And going into it, though, I'd never done it before. So I was worried about the workload and also the workflow. Like, how do you edit on the fly and then publish that night and then prep for the next day and all of that? And ultimately, I think it turned out really, really well. And um, I was able to like engage with fans in the day of and then incorporate that into the following show, which I think is just fun, you know, because fans don't get that type of engagement in other platforms. So I also met people that I wouldn't have met otherwise, like the kid who lived on Surf Ranch and stuff like that. It gave me purpose to actually go engage with those people. That particular interview is probably the, um, did they put that on Beach Grit? Yeah. Yeah, that was deserving of like more, totally. like, like getting it out there on another platform. So one thing I forgot to ask that kid was, now that you've learned how to surf, do you follow surf media? Are you reading mags? Do you have a favorite surfer? All that stuff. And then I saw him the next day. And so I flagged him down and I was like, dude, I've been curious about this. And he's like, no. He's like, I, I saw the story on Beach Grit because a friend sent it to me, but I don't really know what Beach Grit is. And I don't follow surfing. Like, I don't have a favorite surfer. Like, he sees all these Wow, he's a renaissance surfer. I love this guy. He he sees all these people come through his pool, and he's friends with Kelly Slater. Yeah, but... And he watches them all surf, but he doesn't then go... He doesn't subscribe to him. engaged in the culture at all. Not yet. He's fascinating, Does he wear, like, cut-off blue jeans when he's surfing? That would be killer. (laughs) He's got to keep this mojo going. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to see him in Hurley's. I want to see him in... He wasn't like wearing said, any surf gear. Like a like a wife beater and cut off Levi's jean denim, you know? That's what he wears when he surfs. I think that you're like um, a shower cap. Yeah, I think your stereotype of the average Lamore <laughs> resident is already off. Who wears really? cut off Levi's, dude? <laughs> this guy. What's his name? I forget. Spencer, I think. Oh, Spencer. Come on, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I, where would you even see cut off Levi's beer? I mean, you need West shorts Hollywood? to go in the... No. Okay, cut off Wranglers. <laughs> I, my point is, you got to go in the water with shorts on, so I better cut my jeans. Yeah. I think he has board shorts, probably. Oh, that's too bad. But um, anyways, yeah, it was a good experience for me. I got an email from another listener, uh, Craig G., longtime listener, and uh, gives lot, sends emails periodically. He says... It was entitled Unintended Consequence, and he said, quote, in an effort to save competitive surfing by incorporating wave pool events, the wave pool will destroy it. Imagine this. People who watch the Surf Ranch event are now getting used to and starting to expect marginal entertainment every five minutes. Now, factor in the diminishing marginal returns of watching the same wave, the same surfer for two, three, or four more Surf Ranch events. Beyond boring. Boring beyond belief. 
add in select ocean events where the waves are slow and or crappy, my prediction, people will just tune out and not even bother to tune in. And then boom, the WSL is no longer. Out of the ashes of the WSL comes this, specialty events where the waves are the stars. See, he's, he knows. People know. People know. This isn't um, some, like, you know, sometimes you just got to, like, clean the windshield wipe, the windshield a little bit, and to get some clarity. And everyone knows that the waves are the stars. I was even thinking, you know who doesn't get this wrong, who, ne- who very rarely gets this wrong, is TV executives, right? So think back to ABC Wild World of Sports or NBC Sports in 1978. They're like, oh my God, big waves. Hey, we've got this opportunity. They've got this thing called the Pipeline Masters. Oh, there's big waves? How big are the waves? It's gnarly. It's sort of this dredging, gnarly reef. People eat shit. It's it's good viewing, believe me. You're going to see guys eating, you know. So the TV execs are like, done. That's a, I know we're going to get viewers. And it's because the waves are the stars. Nobody came to him and went, hey, there's this guy, Jerry Lopez. We should really follow this guy and excavate a story about him because he's you know he's just going to drive viewership through the roof you know they're like no it's eight to ten feet people might die let's do this yeah and that's back in 78 so they knew it back then let's not screw with the concept so as i think about that i don't think it's unique to tv execs i think the element there is they're non-surfers and we've seen this happen in the past whenever a non-surfer writes about surfing that's the best thing we've seen on surfing in a long time whenever there's a filmmaker who aims their camera at surfing but their craft is filmmaking that becomes the best surf film that we have that we'd seen so a journalist who writes a story about andy irons who doesn't have any background in surfing that's the most interesting story you know so i think that might be the key because that is the true they're the ones that's the litmus test for what is compelling about this thing that we do you and i are too bogged down in the minutiae under the microscope to really see what the most compelling element is um by the way how great is the masters competition in the azores right now have you been following any of it i've been watching it i don't know if great i'm it's very interesting and i think it's refreshing i'll tell you what's good about it is the broadcasters the commentators yeah especially the guy on the beach chris bins is it he's pretty good yeah he, he was, I saw him interview Tom Curran today. I don't know if you saw that. No. It was really, really good. Um, I saw him interview Luke Egan. Part of it is that because these guys, their guard is down, they're mm-hmm. very open and sincere. They have nothing to lose, nor do they have anything to gain from just they like. They got something to gain. Well. This is bragging rights. This is maybe the no, final I mean, bragging rights. No, no. I mean in these interviews. These post, oh, post right, 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 like right. So the, the interviews are really good. The mm-hmm. post interviews are really good. Well, if but the surfing makes me feel old. Like the surfing isn't that great. The surfing's not that great. I like the waves see- are crappy, kind of too. I like seeing those guys, though. I like there's an, a nostalgia element that's fun. I agree. I totally agree. That's really the only reason I stayed tuned in. Yeah, because the waves were kind of soft and not that great. Yeah. The um, one thing that I enjoy about it too is all these old guys getting together again. Like if you're following them on Instagram, they're having a blast having dinners together and cracking jokes and like telling stories from the past. It's actually, I've really, really enjoyed it. I don't think, obviously it's not the highlight of competitive surfing of the year, but I'm glad that they're doing it. So my question to you is, who do you think wants to win? And who do you think is just stoked to be there for the reunion? I think Glenn Wenton wants to win. 
Uh, I think. Who oh else? no, who's going to win? I'll tell no, you. Who right do now. you think? Who Shake do you think? Patterson. Is, who, yeah, I would Shake agree. Patterson. So there are guys that are literally there to like win, and then there's guys that are like, God, I'm stoked they flew me here. I'm having a free vacation. Totally. And can you tell the difference? Jake Patterson is dropping eights in every heat. Yeah. And he's on, he travels, he travels on. If he doesn't win, it would be a Travis Sham mockery. He travels on tour right now with Kanoa and Griffin and some of the top competitors. His whole life is about this. He is an animal and he's always been an animal. That's where his name comes from, you know? So he's definitely, and he's smoked every Did you see his post heat interview? No. So his post heat interview was immediately, he was like, I tell my guys all the time, don't catch a bunch of waves when you've got priority. Just sit on the guy no matter what. And of course, I went out in my heat and didn't do that. So I'm telling my guys right now, and he looks at the camera, and he's like, do as I say, not as I do. You know, and so ultimate, that speaks to what you're saying. It's the ultimate frother. I mean, like that is so true. It's so hard. When I try to improve my own surfing prowess, rarely am I able to execute it once I get back in the water. You know, I could watch all of the Tom Kern footage I want. But once I get back in the water, old habits are hard to hard to kill off. Um, speaking of wave pools, again, yet again, Stab High is happening this weekend at BSR Cable Park in Waco, Texas. They're doing an air event. Um, firstly, it's $9 to view online. Wow. So they are charging to view the event live. They will have a recap of it for free but I don't know how long that'll take to be published. So my question to you, Scott Bass, is would you be willing to pay $9 to watch the air show? No. Why not? Because I'd, I'll watch the recap for free, for free. Okay. So you do want to see it. You're interested in the event, but not interested in I mean, playing. my feeling after after um, the Kelly Slater Wave Ranch thing, my feeling is much like you just explained. Like I'm not that intrigued by wave pool competition. You know, I'm really not. I would much rather see an insane air in the real ocean with a real wave and a real moment of need. Trying to find that section. Rather than an exp- – this is basically an expression session. Who can boost it high enough? And I would much rather watch like Danny Way on the friggin' mega ramp, you know, like just go – you know, when those guys like Bob Burnquist, when they just go 40, 48 feet in the air or whatever it is. That's insane. Like if you're going to do airs, let's just do airs. You know, like that's incredible. Now – I don't follow skating, but I have a feeling those are wildly outdated analogies. <laughs> they probably are. <laughs> are those guys even skating anymore? <laughs> those are the only men that will actually skate on it. I mean, no, I, know, probably, I right. know those names, but yeah. I'm just not sure. That no, you're right. They're 50. <laughs> but but, but I, I mean, I'm not against this at all, but I'm not intrigued by it. You're I'm kind of, And I'm not going to pay nine bucks to watch it. So here was my... Um, by the way, it's a hundred bucks to get in. I, I looked at buying tickets if you go there live. Oh, really? Wait, maybe it's more than that. They sent the thing out this morning to buy tickets. I want to say it was... Anyway, you can go there live and watch it. So... And they do have music. The point of friction for me was not the price tag. It was, if I commit to that nine bucks, minor, uh, I now have to spend a Saturday afternoon in front of the computer. Oh, yeah. Which I don't want to do. So it was kind of like, well, I'm willing to give you guys the nine bucks, but I'd rather just come home Sunday morning and recap it and if you're going to give me the recap for free then i don't think there's a reason for me to pay the live price you know what i mean now if i happen to be home doing laundry or cleaning or something then i'll pay it and turn it on but i'm not going to organize my week around this event right that's a good way to put it yeah but i I like stab for number one doing the event and number two for charging for it 
I would say that Stab, and I wonder if Ashton is the reason behind this, but in my opinion, Stab's really up their game in the last year. I see all the stuff they're doing. Like they're, he's got other stuff in the pipeline. Like Ashton's kind of like man on fire right now, in my opinion. Well, they've in that last year they've also eliminated the print publication. Good. So that I think allows them to kind of allocate attention and resource towards yeah, digital, which is smart. They've always been great at the high concept stuff. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you. This they or Sam's wrote a missive on um, the website explaining why they need to charge. And he basically said this was their biggest gamble they've ever... He's like, I think he said it was going to cost them half a million bucks or something. Not only to rent out the facility, but they're (laughs) flying all the surfers in from around the world. Like they're paying all the traveling expenses. And uh, Well, hey, I I mean, I'm more than willing to give them 10 bucks. Like if they had a GoFundMe page, I'd just throw them 10 bucks just because they're trying. That's what I was going to say. They deserve the... You know, they're they're going... They've got the moxie to try it. I agree. I agree. And I also think that you're so the potential of getting negative feedback from the internet nowadays is threatening. Like I could see them being apprehensive to charge what they need to charge because they're afraid that people will resist it and then revolt and never go visit stabmag.com again. So I was glad to see that they pushed past that because guess what? Well, you know who should pay him is the WSL. WSL should give them like 10 grand just as a test case to see how this thing goes. Because if they get people buying, the WSL is going to be pushing that button soon. Yeah. In terms of the pay-per-view Pay-per-view, yeah. Um, By the way. This is the ultimate. This is our chance to see if we can do pay-per-view surfing contests. They're going to do it anyway, so no need to give them the 10 grand. Oh, are they? Okay. No, I mean, Stab is going to do it whether WSL gives them 10. No, I know. But my point is, is like this is market research for the WSL through the roof and mar- and it would be cool in a perfect world where everyone was thoughtful if they went, Hey, here's, we're going to give you five grand or whatever, you know, just why not underwrite I mean, it a little bit. Um, so, well, the WSL is doing an air show as well in France this year during I the CT that. event. Yeah. It's a Red Bull event. Um, Josh Kerr is kind of the uh, commissioner, so to speak for that event. So that'll be interesting too. And to give you what you just said, which is now you have to navigate the ocean to find the section. So when I surfed um, Waco, I think we talked about this in our last show a little bit. We had a 20 minutes of the air section wave. And I mean, did shame- you do an air? Did you do an air? No, that's a no. Just the space it's, between the answer, I can tell. Don't. I didn't I, think I, I no, did an don't air. Don't justify. I did not think I did an air. And <laughs> a listener didn't. sent me a photograph. The actual photograph from Surfline. We need to see this. There's daylight in between the board and the wa- and the water. One credit card or two credit cards? A Fit. wallet, maybe a, a full, wallet. well, a thin wallet. That's more air than I've ever done. So check this out. I mean, this is a great story, by the way. It highlights the amazing era that we're living in. I talked about it on air. Okay, I got back on whatever day. I mean, within two days, maybe the very next day, I was recording with Chaz on a weekend because it was the only time we can get together with a busy schedule. So we're reco- I get back Saturday. We're recording on a Sunday. Published that afternoon. Two hours later, I get a direct message from a guy in England who's like, I heard you guys talking about it. I pulled my car over to the side of the road. I pulled up the Surfline app, went to that day and time, started watching the footage. I found the air that you were talking about, screenshotted it. Here it is for you. Let me see this thing. Show this to me now. It's in the comments section, actually. I'll, I'll show you in a minute. I don't want to distract okay. myself by searching. On Grit? On the Grit. The most recent episode <laughs> of the Grit. Go down to the comments section. Um, 
By the way, how do you like the new website? It looks good, but why do I get last billing? You don't get last billing. Looks like I'm getting last billing. Get out of here, dude. Let me see. Um, it goes. Okay, by... so the last September two. Mm, yeah, has to be. Um, so what I was explaining on air was like. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not even looking at that. I'm looking at I'm looking at the 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 back backward fin bath. Um, Billboard? Billboard, Had thank you. Have you not seen that? I had heard about it. It's so good, dude. How good is backwards? Oh, by the way, I had a pretty in-depth phone conversation with somebody who no longer resides, who no, who no longer works at um, for the WSL. Okay. And I got some... Oh, wait, I'm trying to find this picture. Is that you? It's really uh, pixelated. There's daylight between the board and the water. Tell me. Yeah. So, dude, here's what happened. Yeah. I was, I mean, Shane says, Shane Magnuson, he's like, just get up and pump as fast as you can towards the wall and the section will present itself and just go straight into it. So what I did, I did everything correct. I just didn't get out of the water. <laughs> that was the problem. It looks like there might be a fin. Touching? Touching. Dang, you just ruined it. No, no, things. no. Look, so, but, I'm not trying to nitpick. That'd be nitpicking, right? But I landed. You know, it's like I... I Got the feel and I landed and I was like shocked that I landed, but I knew I didn't get out of the water. And even when I paddled out, everybody else was like, dude, you actually pulled it. And I'm like, I know, but I didn't get in the air. And they're like, it's all good. You like did the right body motion, you know? And so the photo yeah. shows more than what I thought. Like I didn't think I even got close to getting out of the water. Um, but I've done airs in the ocean. It's just that's, been a decade. That's, a, that's an air. I'm, thank you. I appreciate that. That is that an air. Ocean. Anyways, what what'd you learn about backward fin bath? I just learned that the whole culture at the WSL is kind of... But I'll, I'll just summarize my conversation because I promised this guy I wouldn't divulge too much because he's a, he's a good friend and a good source. You've already said too much. They I can am. triangulate that information. <laughs> right shit. But he basically said that there's just not enough salt and there's too much corporation up there. There just aren't enough people that know the surf culture. And so the people that do know the surf culture end up having to run um, contingency and run damage control on all the shit that the non-surf culture people, you know, create. And backwards fin bath is a great example of that. And there's other examples where people that are like global level strategists are literally like on the ground showing the guys how to run the cables through this person's house at Chopu to get it, like doing granular shit that, a, that an intern should be doing. But the, you know, the global... VP of whatever is doing it because nobody else knows how to do it. Right. So there's just not, as is the case with a lot of surf industry companies that, that go by the wayside there when there's not the right equilibrium of, of salty surfers and MBA data driven guys in the room, it, it gets askew and it can get askew the other way too. You know, you of course, get, I mean, we've seen that a million times where people just, don't yeah. have any business acumen at all, don't run accounting for their business. And you know, right. they have all the popularity in the world in terms of surf cachet, but can't run their business. So I couldn't agree more. It seems like, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there. It seems like it would be wise for the head of the company to be a surfer. Because when you look at it, look at it like this, Bob Hurley. Fuck, excuse my French. I'll put some money in the cuss jar. Sorry about that. Bob Hurley hardcore surfer and and surfboard shaper and everything flows down positive yeah. from that 
um, Bob McKnight back in the day. I know he's no longer with really involved with Quicksilver, but head guy, surfer with some business acumen, and everything flowed wonderfully from there. Um, Claw. Volcom. Claw. Um, Richard um, Wolcott, right? Claw at Rip Curl. I mean, so the, we, we can see that this works. We can also see, like, when OP was purchased by whoever, Warren Co. or something, and some New York fashion guy took it over, and surfers didn't care about it anymore, and it, eventually it's, it's some, you know, distribution, wholesale distribution outlet. So, point is, I think the CEO should be a hardcore surfer, because then all of us can look to that person, and whether it's Rabbit Bartholomew or whoever it is, even if it's Graham Stapleberg, who is a hardcore surfer. Yeah. These types need to be the one that we all look to and go, what next? Right. Because when we look to a non-surfer and go, what next? We sort of say it like, don't worry, we already know the answer to that. I think it all hinges on what we were discussing with the wave pool dilemma, which is to ignore the fact that the central tenet is human versus nature. Now you threw the baby out with the bathwater. Now nobody's going to care. You're going to lose the plot entirely. Every step forward without that loses the plot entirely. And if you're hinging your business on capturing the non-surfer in middle America to grow the audience, then you're never going to capture them because now we're no different than every other board sport that's out there. You know, So you've now made it similar to all of your competition what would you rather watch snowboarding surfing skateboarding or motocross you know what i mean that's basically bowling yeah i know that's what i agree that's what i was so no no no. you guys are forgetting the fact that we are unique from all that and we could be we could trump all of those things we want the same goal as you we want to capture that middle america audience the way that you do it is by focusing on the human versus nature thing so um Central tenant, human versus nature. How do we grasp that? We follow the purple blob and we... Don't cancel we because have a, of sharks. We have a trimmed down... Hell no, you add sharks. You don't trim down... I mean, you do trim down the production budget and you go in there with a couple of cameras, whatever it is, you do it lean and mean, less surfers. You do it tight and you bang it out. Yeah. I agree. And, and I, you pay-per-view it over the internet. You can't look at it like, I've got to have TV or I'm I'm not a real sport, which is what I sense. They're like, if we don't get mainstream TV, then... I think there's a million new ways to redefine the business. I agree with you. You don't need TV. Like, look at the way that Netflix has completely not only disrupted video rental, but disrupted the Hollywood studio system now. Like, you're, they're, manuf- they're making <clears throat> branded content that now a quality filmmakers would rather have their production done through Netflix than go to theaters because nobody goes to theaters anymore. Is there a must-watch show on ABC? Like, when was the last no, time you went dude, to ABC? No. Is there a must-watch show on CBS? No. There probably is, yeah. Well, I would record would argue, I record Colbert, and I'll record 60 Minutes. Those, I'm thinking about things you would record. Colbert is in CBS. Yeah, he is. Colbert late, is he? late night. Oh, would, you're right. You're right <laughs> took you're over right. Letterman. You're right. <laughs> NBC? Must watch TV? No. You might say Saturday Night Live, but I don't record that. I'm thinking about things. But what do I record? Tons of Netflix, tons of Showtime, tons of HBO. Like, you're right. The numbers are in, dude. Like, yeah. that is happening. I mean, all you got to do is look at the Grammys. The Grammys are just dominated by those those companies. So, 
the WSL, and I'm, I'm certain they are taking cues from the modern world, but the point is redefine the wheel. At this point, like anything is available, redefine it. Charge people the 10 bucks a month that Netflix charges, whatever, like redefine it because there's never been a better time to be a creator or an artist or whatever. Like the world is at your fingertips. The audience can directly engage with you. We don't have to go through a middleman, you know? So I think it's it's a really prime time. I think that a lot of the brass, you know, they've never had more qualified executives in the surf, whether it was the ASP or whatever. Like we've never had more qualifying professional executives. So that's great, qualified. Um, now it's just really massaging to make sure that the um, ethos is a surfing ethos. And that's not because... That comes from the top. It does. And that's not because I am a core surfer and I want it to cater to me. I'm saying this objectively as this is the most compelling... Keeping this ethos is the most compelling portion of what we do that will engage the largest number of people. We've never had a platform grand enough to engage that middle America. You guys are helping define the platform, but... Along the way, do not forget the ethos. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Elon Musk, and we were talking about him, and you probably have heard this too, but you know, he'll tell you right up that we are not a car company or a technology company. Cars are one of the technologies that we use. And that's the kind of outside-the-box thinking that you're discussing. That's what, that's what the WSL needs. The WSL needs to go, you know what? Are we a surfing competition company or are we... Uh, man versus nature company or you know i don't know like right. but, you know but there needs to be some whiteboarding they need to throw some shit on the wall and see what sticks and right. that's the type of thinking that will get them great places and you i can think, thank david and scott later i think it was smart to bring in these executives from ufc and wnba and I, all that especially sort of in stuff. sales like if these people have relationships with non-endemics by all means bring them in but we have to have salt at the top that's the problem it's like smart that they're qualified in that way they can't be making massive decisions on surf-related stuff. And the wave pool, look, I hope I'm, I don't care if I'm right or I'm wrong. Like, I'm not here throwing my ego on this statement and going, you'll see in 10 years, you'll go, that guy was right. And David and I, David, I think I can speak for you when we say, look, we want the WSL to succeed. We're suggesting to you from our vantage right now, we don't think it's going to if you focus on wave pools. Now, I'm not, I know there's a revenue stream there, and I well, want you to make money on the revenue stream. I don't know what it is. That's for you guys to figure out. But That's it's reinventing the wheel that I'm com- talking about. Competitively, yeah. though, if the WSL is going to be the governing body of the sport, it needs to focus on the central tenant. And I think I'm not vilifying the wave pool. I see tremendous I'm not either. I love the, the thing. Pool, and I think that when I'm saying you need to reinvent the wheel and really consider alternative options – the wave pool is a huge part of that business. And there's a great way to position that and to utilize it and to sell it and all of those things. But don't confuse it with a world tour stop. That's a different thing. Right. You know? So I think that, yeah, I love the wave pool. Keep it as the as part of the business. So. Well, we've, we chewed that thing to death. Um, That's what a podcast is for. What do you got, dude? Downtime. Well, I mean, I'll uh, I've got buster, my dude. Looks like you have something. I've yeah, got, I've got we a dude. talked about it all. I've got a dude too. 
Well, we're right. I up. have the ISA Aloha Cup, and I realize I don't really want to talk about. Well, that. we're right up on your yeah my break. time. We yeah. have four minutes. Um, okay. Duke. My Duke is Jamie Brissick. Did you see him get interviewed today on the Azores? What was that thing called? Azores Airlines Masters World Masters Championship. I didn't see it. Anyway, it was cool because Brissick kind of talked about him getting to be a surf fan again. Now that he's you know because he's these are his contemporaries. Just as you know, he surfed on tour with a lot of these guys, but he gets to go there now as a writer or a surf journalist for Surfline or whatever, and look at it as from a surf fan's vantage rather than I've got to go here and win and throw my ego around and blah blah blah. And so he gave a really cool kind of honest, sincere take on on how much fun it is to be a surf fan and a surf groupie again, which is totally cool because because that's the because it was honest and it was sincere. And you could tell that I was like, yeah, Jamie, high fiving across the screen. I love Brissick. Um, I thought he was there competing. He's not. No. Oh, too bad. Apparently, he's happy to be right where he's at, where yeah. there's no drama and he just gets to have a reunion with all his bros. Yeah. And wax um, poetic. It was his birthday, too, like two days ago. Oh. So definite Duke. What's funny is my Duke is also from that same event. Um, Shane Horan. Dude. Okay. Uh, do you follow his Instagram? I'm a big fan. It is the greatest Instagram account. <laughs> better I, than Napkin Apocalypse? <laughs> way better, dude. <laughs> I stopped following Napkin like three years ago. I love Napkin. I know. I'm the only one who doesn't care. Well, here's the thing. Like just the other day, she posted this picture with like, vomit and shit all over her shirt and she's staring into the mirror with her phone and she just looks fucking miserable and first thing is i need a vacation like i sometimes sense that that's how she communicates with dane like like they don't communicate except through instagram <laughs> that is genius i um i might like her more now or her instagram account more now that they're raising kids together i might find some um something charming in that or redeeming or whatever anyway Shane Horan, dude, I don't know. I, do you know him at all? Have you spent yeah. time with him? Is no, no, he? Is I he I'm, I've met him. I don't know him. I'm wondering if he is. Um, does he have a screw loose? He's no, but he's he's um, fun loving. Um, what's what's what are some of the cliche phrases? Um, he's carefree. He's sort of mystical. He's, um, you know, he. He's like a Grateful Dead fan that surfs. You know okay. what I mean? He's kind of left. He's left of Dave Rostovich. Let's put it that okay. way. Okay. I could see all of that. He's goofy as all get out. Like, yeah. So I can't figure out. He's his, smart. Very intelligent. Is he? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm like, is a screw loose or is he just sincerely doesn't give a crap about presentation or about flubs or goofiness or any of that? But it's so charming and it's so entertaining and I absolutely love it. The question is, are you the one with the screw loose because yes. you do care about this? I, I completely would edit any of that going out because I do care right. and I recognize that as a short And how can you explain your haircut? Uh, like you said earlier, it's what I was gifted with by nature and there's no... Um, I have no other option. It is what I'm stuck with. So you have to embrace it. But... Things that I can edit, I try to edit, and uh, you can edit and I, your haircut. And I think that the the reality is, I think I will grow beyond that. I think I, with maturity, won't care as much in the future. But right now, I do care, and I love that Shane doesn't. Uh, I will post on spitpodcast.com a uh, 
video clip of him surfing where he embodies all of what I'm talking about, just completely, completely having a blast and not caring. So, all right, Scott. Well, Scott's having a coughing fit and needs to vacate the premises, but spitpodcast.com at boardroom show is where you get a hold of him at surf splendor is where you get a hold of me. Do you want to sign off or should I? Yeah. Until next time, adios and aloha.